There's a new podcast app that delivers chilling true crime stories straight to your mobile device. Every day they release a new episode that investigate the gruesome true acts of America's worst serial killers. And you can explore into the minds of psychopaths and murderers. To get started, find and download Murder Minute from the App Store or visit MurderMinute.com. That's M-U-R-D-E-R-M-I-N-U-T-E.com to get your daily dose of true crime creepiness delivered straight to your mobile device. It's a good show. Race. Race is hard to talk about. Racial people all around the world making it hard to talk. Is that the end? I thought maybe a song would come. I don't know. I was just, uh, just trying to think outside the box for a cold that, open. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah. I kind of saying that racial people make it hard yeah uh, but yeah i mean the the tune was great the lyrics a little problematic i'll try it again racial people when will you come to your senses now that's <laughs> well also what in this song what is the definition of racial people because uh, i mean arguably doesn't everyone have a race what about me what's my race uh, white Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I'm trying. To, why do I always? I'm, you, you, you try to come up with a fun, informal cold open. Well, here it is. What? We just finished our cold open. Oh, I thought you were going to fart or something. <laughs> um, Waiting longs is easy when you have friends. That sounded racist. This song should end. That one is great. That's a real good one. That's fantastic. Nice and simple, but deceptively complex. It had a, a real uh, three-act structure to it. Well, including in the resolution, Man Becoming God was that synth flute. <laughs> that was like a... I just Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Who made that? Uh, who was it? <laughs> I don't know. We've got... Oh, oh, oh. Uh, Micah... Wasn't it Micah Rutrow? <laughs> Micah Micah Rutrow. <laughs> That's what you saw told me. Micah, Micah his, his last name is Scooby Doo saying uh oh. <laughs> That's what you saw told me. Well, if Mike if Micah well, we if Micah sure Rutrow's last name is of ethnic origin, I I then I'm sorry. I, it's probably <laughs> counter to the show's spirit for me to I make mean, fun it, of it. If it makes you feel any better, Yusan also questioned its veracity. <laughs> <laughs> Micah Rutrow. I like it. Uh, well, we know for a fact that is he or she's name is uh, Micah. Micah Rutrow, the boat ashore. Rut, la, yeah. All right. Well, and I, didn't Micah send in another one that was like uh, that we can use? Uh... Ne- uh, I don't know if that was Micah's, but there's a there's another one that was in hot contention today, mm. and we'll we'll hear it next week. All right. Well, thank you, Micah. But everybody who have been sending in submissions, wonderful job. Yeah. Every week, we're continually impressed by. Um, the scope of talent. Yeah. Our theme song, Like America, is uh, blessed by variety. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So we took a break last week, and then people got worried. We had to simmer down. We, we, we needed that long to I be had, able to be in the same room again. I had to go t- t- spend a weekend fishing with Dana Gould and uh, <laughs> Matt Selman. <laughs> and Al Jean. Uh 
went over. Yeah, I went over to the Simpsons. Uh, told him, told him, to, I tried to smooth things over. No, I, we, I just look. I was uh, lazy and I didn't want to come in. Yeah, and then you fucked off to Tribeca. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't reschedule. But some of this stuff will keep, you know, like. You know how important is it that we do this show every week? It's it's racism. It's like the world's oldest. Uh, You're saying the racism will still be there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Get to> it. <laughs> um, okay, so let's do some emails. We are so woefully behind on emails, um, and so many people have written in wonderful emails that don't make me angry. Mm. Um, so today, I'd love to read. Uh, it's this one's long, but it brings up so many, so many good points. Oh shit! Can I say one thing that I saw on Twitter about that Simpsons episode? Of course, that you saw it too. You were CC'd on it, uh huh. And it made me so sad that somebody pointed out that "Don't Have a Cow" might actually be a reference to Hinduism. Yeah, I I pointed that out. Did you? Yeah, but you kind of glossed over it. I, I don't, don't know if you heard me. Well, I am okay. Uh, that, that I was like, oh god. Yeah, maybe. I think that's giving them a little bit too much credit. I thought it, I thought it was a reference to like it was sort of like the classic, um, you know, when the Simpsons started laughing at the at how long they'd been on the air. It kind of took the form originally as like you know making fun of the Tracy Ullman Butterfinger commercial. Don't have a cow, cowabunga days of Bart, and they would they would call it out on screen. You know, like... Well, that's why I say I think it's a specific specific choice to choose a phrase that means, like, chill the fuck out and not one of the other catchphrases like cowabunga or eat my shorts or something like that, you know? It's a moot point, though, because you know what the big takeaway from that episode was? First of all, we knew I wasn't going to go home and watch the episode, and uh-huh. I haven't. I'm happy with my 20 seconds, <laughs> which means I don't have an opinion about the thing. Why would I have one? Well, the more, more important takeaway was, yeah, there was a threshold there where I was like, oh, you know, if your friend is telling you that they're uh, uh, that they were genuinely offended by something, then questioning them is offensive. Um that's why we always have to be careful when we're talking on these podcasts because we tend to slip back and forth between using our I statements about what was actually offensive to us and what we think is wrong, which is neither neither mm-hmm. of which are bad conversations to have. But emotional appeals in the latter part of it are, you know, could get they could get confused. Signals could get crossed like we we were able to reset the conversation emotionally once you were like. I'm telling you, I saw it and I I was offended. Why don't you believe me? It's like, oh, there would be no reason for me to believe not believe you. It's crazy. I can't, your feelings aren't liars. Um, but when we're talking about like, yeah, interpreting other people's shit and like, what did they actually mean, or what should society's rules be? Well, then we're in an academic conversation, and then we're gonna all what about each other a little bit, which is also fine and healthy. But what I really appreciate is that you don't double down. You have empathy, and you. You know, you apologize, which was so sweet. Well, you know, as soon as somebody says that they are hurt, I, the, all bets are off, man. And it's not even necessarily because I'm a good person. It's because I have a trigger myself about that. Like, I don't – I don't. I, I really – like, I'll shut everything down if somebody implies that I'm, like, hurting someone. I, I, but at the same time, I take great pleasure in hurting people, like, by not doing anything. Yeah. Whereas I, my source of power is white pain. 
<laughs> All right. Well, anyways, I thought it was, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a, I listened to it again. It was a crazy um, conversation about a crazy thing that happened on TV. And it's like, I, 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 I yeah, the, the, obviously I'm, I, I got to own up to the fact that I'm just fucking lazy at the end of the day. I'm not going to go home and like study <laughs> the Simpsons. I do hope that you, you watch the documentary though. Cause I, 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 know, I, I genuinely do. think you would like it. I do want to watch that. Yeah. No, yeah. Because, because I, because I do find it interesting, like guys my age or 10 years younger that are, you know, uh, comedians of color, writers of color, sharing their their thoughts about that about that legacy of, of stuff is just it's just it's just interesting to me because I don't know. It's a, yeah, well, it's a it's a swath of the audience that you're uh, not used to hearing from because the history of television has been white guys writing jokes that other white guys think is funny, and so it's it's always interesting and eye opening when you get to hear. What people who don't fall into that category think about certain right. things. You know what I, th- I, th- I think the thing that makes me interested about it is, you know how people go, like, they, they, everyone's having this, this conversation uh, about as if there's a choice between, oh, do you think political correctness is killing comedy? It's like, oh, what did you, you know, Jerry Seinfeld said this. And when I was on Larry King, humble brag, Larry, 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 Larry King asked me that question. <laughs> is political correctness killing comedy? I, I said, no, it's not because, uh, because the desire to not be offensive and the fear of being offended are as, as human um, and sloppy uh, um, uh, concepts as running your credit card up or not being able to find your sock in the dryer. I mean, these are things that are can be relatable. And I think that's the – I do think that political correctness for the sake of itself that doesn't then combine itself with empathy and vulnerability will kill comedy, but so will anything dishonest and defensive and not risky. Um, someone that's just wanting to be mad – um, and risk nothing. They go, and, and if they grab a microphone and go like, well, I could tell you some jokes, but instead I think I'll tell you a couple things on TV that, that upset me yesterday. Unless that person like really digs into what how what they do when they're upset and how it feels to be upset. Like, like how are they ever going to be funny and stuff? So when I, that's why when I heard that, you know, Malik and, uh, uh, and, and, and Cal were, were in that documentary talking about it. I, I, I know those guys are vulnerable guys and that, and that, and that, and that, and that they're going to tell these interesting stories about being on a playground and stuff like that, which is actually that's how we fix things. It's like, um, uh, you, like yes, uh, this guy talking funny may very well have been incredibly hysterically funny for 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 the powerful demographic thirty thirty years prior, but then replace that with um, uh, the funnier thing, which is talking about yeah, because it's like we're arguing over. Like like a fucking stereotype from thirty year a character that was created thirty years ago, and like for someone to still hold on to that and be like, no, you can't take this thirty year old joke away from me. It's like the joke exists now, thirty years ago. You can go back and watch the old episodes. We're saying let's not keep like rehashing this thirty year old fucking joke that at this point is hacky and dated. And also like when whenever guys argue like political correctness is going to is killing comedy first of all i would say like 85 percent of the time those guys are hacks and it's they're holding on to like old like shitty dated things 
Um, and so it's, you know, in, in that instance, it's like my argument is like, don't be hacky then. Write something good. Write something fresh. Write something new that actually is funny now in 2018. And then the other thing is when guys like that usually say like political correctness, now I can't make fun of anything anymore. They're bristling at the fact that they're being told, hey, you have to think about other people's feelings now. Right. You know, and it's like those other people who are complaining are people who have never had their feelings considered and didn't get listened to and weren't being written for. And so now those people are saying, you know what, this is bullshit. Like, I sh- I'm a person and I think things are funny and I think certain things aren't funny. And I think things that, you know, shit on my family is not funny. And I'd like to make other jokes that I think are funny. And so for for those guys, it's they're they're bristling against giving other people as good a time as they've had for the last 30 years. Yeah. And uh, Jimmy O'Yan. O'Yang. O'Yang. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Irish friend um, <laughs> from Silicon Valley. I, I, I You know, he kind of he kind of he kind of um, did a good job of playing those strings. Um, it, it, it as we as we charge forward the the path to peace and happiness and co-functionality is going to be um funny, sensitive, smart, empathic people um pouring their hearts out all over this stuff and um not just stopping short uh at 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 you know oh I I sniffed something out here and and now I can call it out. I'm not saying that that's a that you could I say start there but like I think, you know, like there's there's pomegranate juice underneath that poison. There's there's antioxidants. There's healing things that come from inside of you. And yeah, it's like everybody needs to start considering everybody else um, a little bit more, and everybody needs to start knowing themselves a little bit more. That's the other thing that we're not going to be able to get away with. My therapist said basically when the when the Me Too movement started happening, she was like, she's not a fan, by the way. I mean, she's because she's a therapist, so she's actually worried about out of control things. And I'm like, well, it's a weather phenomenon. It's not he's sorry but it can't it, it doesn't wield a scalpel and she understands that but she, she she's like she said look but the healthy way to look at all this is that it's uh it's about it's about the end of the era of unconsciousness like mm-hmm. like things that we're not thinking about <clears throat> are not gonna be options anymore like like they have yeah. to give way to the things that we are thinking about that right? is a that's a good way to frame the apu situation which is like you can't not think about this anymore you know you can't pretend that you don't know that it upsets people and was a bummer for people growing up you can't pretend anymore and thinking about things doesn't just mean saying excuse me could you not smoke in, uh, on this patio it bothers my dog you know like uh, those are that's that's about half of expressing um your experience uh, if 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 you get through an entire day without risking anything and not being vulnerable i, I maybe you're maybe maybe you had fun but like things, things getting better is going to start with you putting your yeah. putting your ass out there. You've had fun. It's time to let other people have fun. Like you can't be the sole player in this playground forever. Yeah, that's what I think. Um, and I also think that I think that Jimmy did a great job uh, with his character on Silicon Valley. In that, when that character, the first time that character appeared in a script, it was a, a racist stereotype, and it was just like a dumb one or two line thing. But I think that over time, like, because because of Jimmy did a really, really fun, fantastic job with the character, Jin Yang. And I think that the character then evolved into this 
Madman, who is a really, really fun villain in his own right, that no longer relies... I mean, so much of his jokes are, like, have to do with him uh, being Chinese, but it's one of those things where... It could be he you could swap in anything, any other race for him, and he still would function the same way in the show as this uh like lunatic villain. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should I have that, anticipated I think, that. I think two two dimensional characters are mm-hmm. that that's how we meet people too. I got a ride to the airport from a guy that was, I think, Japanese. Um uh, it was as if his SUV had 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 been flown over from Tokyo uh, uh, and, and dropped onto uh, the street outside my house in a parachute because he just he was so Japanese and he, and the whole SUV was filled with like weird foreign candies and he his his accent was unbelievably thick and he literally would like he was like smiling and bowing like like as a tick you know and 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 like had this like nervous manic energy i mean the guy was if i wrote him as a character everybody'd be like what are you doing and that's correct it's like number one he's a real guy that guy really exists number two if i wrote him as a character people would be like what what are you doing and both things are right because what you got to do is if it, 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 in real life you could meet that guy and not get to know him but in a, in comedy like you now can no longer just bounce off of of, of the yeah, idea of another know, human that's yeah. not human and just for uh, the sound of bouncing off yeah. of them like that's a really good point i mean i don't want to keep belaboring a poo but that is a good point because a lot of, there were there was a in the following week after all, all the apu stuff was happening um, people did bring up like this one guy was like, you know, my dad was basically a poo. Like he was an immigrant. My parents immigrated and they owned uh, like gas stations and convenience stores. And like, you know, this is a and they were the hardest working, most like fierce and strong, pe- strong willed people I knew. And I think that the key there is that's not really the story of what a poo is like on the show that's not how he functions on the show he's not a sensitive like loving portrait of somebody that the writer uh felt a emotional connection to he is just a caricature a racial caricature for white guys to laugh at um most of his lines the so much of the laugh really is i mean his his catchphrase thank you come again it's not, there's nothing inherently jokey about that catchphrase. It's just that it's said with an accent, you know? And if you took away the accent, it's a meaningless line. It's a throwaway line. And so uh, this is not... Apu himself is not... Does not reflect the kind of immigrant story that an actual child of immigrants or an immigrant would tell. That's not what his function is. That wasn't his purpose. That wasn't why he was created. And it's still not what he is in the show. <clears throat> and I think that those stories about immigrants are really, really wonderful and should be told. But I don't think that Pooh is the one that's telling it. There are a lot of characters. Yeah, I mean, Thank You Come Again is like he's a threshold guardian that like you only see when you're buying your Duff beer. And that, that's how he was introduced as a character. And Mo, you know, is the is the white version of that at the corner bar. And then there's the guy that, you know, is always the criminal with his sleeveless denim jacket and. 
it it as the as Springfield grew and dimensionalized as they ran out of things to do and and had to do more and therefore it had no choice but to like spend more time with some of these characters I do th- there were episodes I look this is where I don't I break down it's like I'm not a I'm not a 50 year Simpsons fan with the the, the the that's seen I've seen like maybe a few seasons like when it was at its peak but I I do know from catching the odd flipping through channels like thing that I there, there's like episodes where Apu like was the A story and was like I don't know how how that flew with people he was like going to a wedding or his brother's wedding uh, or no he had an arranged there was like the story of how he had an arranged marriage and then how he had like eight kids and it was like uh, and the number corresponded with like a, the Hindu deity with eight arms you know I mean, it's, I mean, basically, like whatever. I mean, I guess we're, 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 why, why, why did we yeah. drive into and this also bush? yes, and and also another argument people were making is that like you know it's the whole show is full of stereotypes like the drunk and uh, the criminal, et cetera. But uh, well, it's kind of like the it, Muppet Show. I mean, it's but you full have to. Of... Well, no, no, no. It's not even that. It's like you have to. Again, you know, and the context matters. Um, I mean, that's like the one big sticking point of this podcast, which is context matters and paradynamics matter. So you have to you have to imagine the the paradynamics and who is getting a voice and who is the voiceless. And you know, at the end of the day, it's it is punching down. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It's it's. I mean, comedy and fashion are inextricably linked so when people complain about oh man now that there's an internet and seven million housewives that i wouldn't have invited to my stand-up club are can now comment on facebook on on a blog entry about a rape joke that i made at, at chucklebacks last night it i mean that's that that's you we don't even have to say whether that's right or wrong that's just the case you know it's like mp3s changing music it's you could you can be bummed about it and you could be whatever but it's like the it, 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 the the fashion of the time now means that like you got to be if you got a if you got a brown guy and he's, he runs the 711 that you 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 know every time you go to work with that character that you you you're going to the plate with a few strikes against you that you have to like somehow figure out how to blow people's mind. Yeah, well also what you would have to ask yourself like what purpose does this character serve? Am I really trying to tell a story of this of a person who is a real person or am I just laughing at the fact that every time I go into 7-Eleven and the Indian guy talks to me in his thick Indian accent, I laugh. That's the difference. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's the Swedish chef. I, let's introduce this character tomorrow. He, uh, I, there's not enough Swedish people, and the Swedish people aren't uh, outspoken enough, and to, don't get, can't threaten to shut down a network. Uh, that if you launched the Swedish chef as a franchise tomorrow, uh, anyone would still care. It, but but it probably wouldn't really be that funny. And I think that's isn't that the kind of the key to look at? It's like like like. That this idea that some people talk funny is like it's like a Lego block, you know. It's like not enough anymore. It's like it could be a part of everyone talks funny. Everyone's got like a uh, an unusual cadence and um, and all this stuff, and that can be a huge building block for the construction of a great character. And there could be a character named Apu, and he could be brown, and he probably could own a Seven Eleven, and he could still, because of other factors, many other factors, end well, up being like an Emmy Award worthy twenty first century super woke awesome character. Sure. 
sure. But it sure. would take some engineering. Yeah, it would take engineering, and it, you you would have to examine the intention, the execution, everything, and also the difference between making fun of a Swedish person and making fun of an Indian immigrant in America is the racism that exists in America, the anti-brown racism, the anti-any color that isn't white racism in America, the uh, anti-immigrant sentiments that are in America. All of these things matter and have to be taken in, in, into consideration. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like fashion and and politics and comedy, they are, they get braided together. You, we remember Lenny Bruce saying the N word in a biopic in the in a smoky club, uh, you know, and saying it to the face of a black guy who cracks up laughing, and he's like the equivalent of the Kinsey. Uh, guy who, you know, let's start talking about this and all this stuff. Like, throughout the history of comedy, some stuff that we end up going, like, this is this is way out of bounds, uh, is the actual stuff that delivers us, whatever. It's That's because everything keeps changing all the time. There were comedians in 1979 who, because drugs were suddenly funny... Um, they just did entire drug acts. Now, some of those comedians were fucking hilarious geniuses that had been unallowed to do their really funny drug humor uh, in 1978 and suddenly could be out of the box and like entertaining us with their beautiful minds. A lot of them were idiots and assholes who were like, oh, I get it. Quaaludes mean slow and speed means fast. So I guess I'll do this like hacky bit where I where I, you call out Quaalude and I go slow. And I, it, it, it's it all like the difference between hacky and 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 progressive and and daring and irreverent, you know. It's always going to feel unfair to the hack for sure. Yeah, exactly. Because if you're if you are getting so pissed that you can't do your 30 year old joke, that means you got nothing else in you. I'm just not. I'm I'm just not. Um, Okay. And and by the way, that translates directly to you fucking guys, none of whom I'm sure are listening, uh, who are burning your crosses and doing your shit in Georgia or wherever it was this this weekend. Uh, I just you know people keep musing. They go whenever there's photos of these guys, and they go like, "How come Nazis are the dopiest looking, ugliest fucking?" Well, to doy because if you're <laughs> if you're proud of your race, it's it's not because you have anything else to be proud of. Like like you are not. There is no such thing as a brilliant pianist who is also so down to clown with Nazism. <laughs> like, because like, he, he's just, he's has so much better shit to do. He's like, there's there's a lot of people on the racist spectrum that are like, it's a lot of pianists that are like, oh, yeah, I had an argument with a female pianist the other day, and I think that maybe she, she like, she's trying to me to me because she's she wants to take the back door to a, you know, it's like he'll have all this petty shit, but... But but by and large, the people that show up out in the fields and actually wave the flag around, um, they don't have jobs and they don't have expertise and they don't they don't have charm. They don't have vocabularies. They don't have a history of uh, nailing it. And let's keep it that way. Uh, Let's 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 not uh, let's make sure that 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 being proud of your race is always the, the thing you do if you are if you fucking suck. Right. Yeah, that I agree with. I I I I wish it were true that only people who had nothing else better to do were uh were Nazis, but I mean the, the judges, you know, you know, politicians, 
like captains of industry are are all there. There are tons of those. I know. Who are we're like, at, well, we're at a, secret we're at, Nazis. Yeah. The, the bummer about to, yeah. about today is that we, for the last thirty years, we've been living in a world where. Even those guys you're describing, they knew they had to keep it secret. They knew they had to. They knew they had to find legalese. Sure, sure, and, and, dog, and, whistles. and dog whistles, totally. Um, and now, you know, we're experiencing this game of hokey pokey where you put your left racist foot in and you look around and you shake it about, and if anyone else is doing it, you you know, it's like it's it's pretty scary. Yeah, and then f- final thing I'll say about. Uh, India making fun of an uh, Indian immigrant versus a Swedish one is that uh, um, you'll notice that anytime a person of color uh, moves to another country to live forever, they're called immigrants. But when a white person does it, they're called expats. <laughs> I've never called anyone an expat in my life. I've never called anyone an immigrant either. I don't think <laughs> you you did once, like uh, with your wide, innocent eyes, blinked at me and tried to figure out what the difference between immigrant and emigrant. Oh yeah, what what is that again? <laughs> the difference is uh, immigrant uh, is uh, you describe that as the, the when they were talking about the country that they've moved to, and emigrant with an e is uh, if it's the country they're leaving, like when they're leaving the country. That's what all right. Mean. None of that. None of that absorbed. That was mm-hmm. exactly like uh, it makes. Very little sense in, to me. Indica and sativa. That'll, <laughs> that'll be the 30th time I hear what that, it is. There's a, and, it's a very easy black and white difference between indica and sativa. Give me the mnemonic device to help me remember which one makes me fucking insane. And don't tell me one is a head high and one's a body high. Because when my body gets high, my head freaks out. <laughs> I can't help you there. Okay, let's move on to this email because we've... We're half an hour in. We haven't even read the first email I know, that I teed I'm, 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 I come in here all low energy and bored, and I'm like, oh, this will be a fast episode because I, I don't even care. And then I like end up babbling about The Simpsons a second episode in a row. You know, um, since we are like at the half hour mark, I think maybe I'll just read one of these, uh, a shorter email, and save that one for after the break. Okay, here's a... Because you saw my drink was empty. <laughs> Um, hi, Jessica. I probably write in too much, but I love the show. I'm a new, newly minted female attorney five months in in Philadelphia, and I'm obsessed with listening to people talk about TV writing. You guys talk a lot about the process of getting a writing job, but I'd love a quick discussion on what a, quote, room looks like. For example, I'm rewatching the Rick and Morty episode, Wedding Squanchers, shameless ego plug for Dan, and there's a joke about a whole planet made of corn cobs. What's the process of getting to a throwaway joke that fun and dumb? How is that different from coming up with the structure of the episode, like running jokes? Is it different from room to room? I think we all non-writers think of a room where people just throw out fun jokes, but logic tells me that can't be it because that sounds crazy unproductive. Ho, ho, ho. It is how it is. <laughs> and you're you're right on all accounts. Dan talks about the community writers uh, some on Harmontown, and he makes it sound like he writes most of the scripts and throws it to the room for jokes where they're needed. Oh, that's not fair. But y'all make it sound like that's also not real. Really, it then throw in that you you're credited for pickle Rick, fuck yeah, and I'm even more confused. How do you get credit for writing an episode when there's a room? I would just love to understand the room just a tiny bit more, and I'd love if you took a minute or two to explain it. Uh, some in the upcoming weeks, thank you, Alex. Well, I think the most important thing to say is that uh, there's a million ways to do it. it it's it's no more uh, institutionalized than uh, like the concept of like harnessing wind power. I mean, you could make a windmill any way you wanted. There could be super inefficient ones and there could be super overfunded but crappy ones that were in areas of no wind. Like um the, the there are these 
general concepts like story rooms versus joke rooms. Uh, story rooms are where everybody is sitting around trying to figure out what happens in the episode. Ideally, those people, although they're going to keep on cracking jokes about, oh, what if this happened or what if that happened, um, those people are more importantly trying to figure out, like, well, why why does this episode have a beginning, middle, and end? And the 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 people are the reason to answer the question about for instance Jessica being a credited writer while when in fact these things are written by rooms is because you sit with the room uh while you're breaking the story which means as you can imagine with a 30 page script when people when eight people have sat and figured out the whole thing on a whiteboard like what happens one scene after the other um uh, that that kind of like that that very much feels like a bunch of people writing the script together however um there is always one person uh that then their name is going on the cover sheet now at community and at rick and morty we basically just take turns it's just like rotation uh it's not like oh jessica you love pickles it's just like well i actually specifically campaigned to write pickle rick if you'll recall all right well but but yes generally it's just assigned it's just sort of it's 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 wait more i mean more importantly like you're you if you if you campaign for that one you yeah. you knew it meant you weren't going to write the next one you knew it because it's a rotation yeah yeah yeah. like yes it's just it's, a sign it's like you, jessica you write episode one dan you write episode two so it's like you write sentry episode duty three. you know because other everybody else has to sleep or in this case everybody else has to break more stories so that individual writer um uh, after after everybody breaks the story breaking it meaning hopefully it'll never have to be rebroken psych um uh, at a certain point, that individual writer whose name is going to go on the cover sheet, um, you say to them, okay, Jessica, you think you can go turn this into an outline? Um, and that's that poor son of a bitch's uh, bad fortune. Because basically that person is now going to go find out whether or not we really broke the story. Yeah, so you, you would just take all of the ideas that everybody kind of uh, yelled out and wrote out on a board, on a big whiteboard, and then you take all of that and you put it into a document where you break down every single scene and you, you, you're literally writing out in an outline form what happens in every single scene in this episode. Um, and then, so that, those are story breaking rooms, story rooms. That's the most common. I mean, often because the other thing is a luxury of people who have their shit together. I'm sure the people at Frasier or Big Bang Theory, like, they probably have constant, like, multiple story rooms and multiple joke rooms going. My experience is if there's a joke room that's been put together, it's because I have somehow accidentally been a grown up and been on schedule. But a joke room is just a group of people um, uh, going through a script that has already been written to some degree, a first draft or beyond, whatever. They're going through the script. There's usually a writer's assistant going through the script while the joke room, which is just the same writers but in a different role, um, possibly while other writers are still in a story room working on a different episode, um, the the joke writers are going through the script and they're pitching alts, um, alternate lines, alternate punchlines for um, uh, lines of dialogue in the script. 
So I guess that kind of answers your question about like the corn cob thing. I mean, the there was a it was like they went to a planet. We knew I we knew in the story breaking room that they were going to go to a series of planets that was written on a whiteboard around a circle, and it was put. You know, it was like and and it probably was truthfully probably because it's unavoidable there probably was a bunch of examples rift in the story room of like well what do we mean they go to a bunch of planets and they're no good but hopefully then that's shuttled off to a joke room where after the script is outlined and then written and then there's like a joke room that has a chance to go through it and when you get to the scene scenes where they go to the different planets and a bunch of shit goes wrong so they know they have to go back or that they 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 can't find a new home um that there's a a ton of a ton of alternative uh, jokes can be just thrown out and the writer's assistant has a certain code uh coded like a shorthand whether it's slashes or whatever uh brackets where you you're you're just sticking into the script like perhaps pages and pages of alternate lines of dialogue or alternate scenarios and things like that. Sorry. So you... Oh, I was just going to say uh, the the simple version of uh, how, why someone's name is on a script is usually whoever's name is on a script, that's the person who actually, you know, who did the outline and also uh, wrote the first draft and probably the first two drafts of the script. Um, that's the person who had to sit there looking at a blank page and write out an entire script. Now, of course, the script will get rewritten a bunch. It'll get, go through polishes and punch-ups with the whole staff. But that person basically uh, uh, birthed the first um, iteration of that script, and that's why their their name is on it. Yeah, and in my opinion, it's like mm-hmm. that person, they, 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 they're getting their first chance to be a perfectionist. Like they and I, and I like to try to give them their last chance, too. Probably there's no time for that, but... Uh, it's like your name's going on the cover sheet. So it's it's sort of like equal parts uh, favor and like eating shit. Like, and every room is different too because um, there are some. I've been on shows where from beginning, middle, and end, no one rewrites you. Like when I write a when I write a script on that show. It's every time there's notes, I, I go through every draft and I input the notes and then it'll go through punch up. Punch up just means for comedies, uh, punch up means that the whole room gets together and goes through the whole script page by page um, trying to make everything funnier. This is where like jokes would come in. You'd pitch jokes, you'd pitch better jokes, better gags, things like that. Um, but I've also been on shows where you write a first draft and then the showrunner takes it and literally just rewrites every every line and completely rewrites the script so that almost nothing you wrote is uh is still there um but because you wrote the first draft your name is still on it yeah totally varies from from show to show room to room genre to genre drama works different from comedy sci-fi comedy is going to work different from everything else like my girlfriend's working on the showtime show with our guest jazz who it's like a lot of the people are drama writers one of the writers is a guy from sesame street um everybody's coming from different processes um the showrunner is probably going to try something different every single time if yeah. uh, certainly every single show if not every single episode <laughs> because from my experience you, you you're if you're at the top of this garbage pile you're feeling nothing but uh all of the questions that 
you just asked. <laughs> like I, I, that person's email asking all those things. Yeah, now imagine having those questions when you get out of bed in the morning and find out your job is to go run the show because it's 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 it. You feel like a failure and a shithead, and you're trying to figure things out. And I, I'll I'll like sit till three in the morning in the office before the first day of work and like draw up a flow chart that explain how an idea becomes a thought to the yeah. And and those and throwaway jokes uh, to answer that question, it can come from at any point of the process. Sometimes when you're breaking the story, you you know somebody pitches a funny gag, and you're like, oh, that's definitely going in because that's so funny. Or or it could be during when the person who uh, whose name is on the script is writing their first draft, they inject a lot. I mean, that's the first draft, so they're gonna that's their chance to put in as much of their own stuff in it as possible. And a lot of times those jokes are from that person. And then finally, uh, when you're doing punch up, when everyone's doing joke pitches and alts and things like that, um, you can also pitch jokes in, but. Uh, it's at every point in the process, those types of jokes can make it in. Yeah. Justin insists on uh, – we, we use pair notes in the Rick and Morty writer's room, which means that there's a writer's assistant writing notes. And there's also – everything's being recorded, which I will live in legal fear of for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, the, but that way, you can the writer who's assigned to the draft can actually – they can go either by text or by audio scrubbing, and they'll both be kind of synced up. Um, to any point in the notes and justin has a code that he he says jib jab whenever he really wants to make sure that uh, that thing makes it something is marked like if i start you know riffing like dialogue between beth and rick in a certain scene it's like then then justin will go jib jab jib jab that um that means that the the writer yeah so 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 like jessica's saying yeah it's like as far as like specific jokes that come in it's like you know, we don't, there is no, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no designated time yeah. to do it. It's any time. And also sometimes you guys riff when you're recording the voices. Yeah. And then that, and then it gets drawn. Yeah. And then y'all, y'all, we rewrite, we rewrite half the shit in the edit bay. I mean, uh, ho- well, hopefully, hopefully we won't keep doing that. What a, what a great time to take a break. Yeah. Jessica, uh, did you know that cooking uh, can be an interactive experience? Without the muss and fuss of choosing your own ingredients? Have I accidentally stumbled into an ad? Jessica, (laughs) at Blue Apron, or rather, at your own home, Uh not at Blue Apron. Okay. uh, That makes more sense. At your own home, you can get a box from Blue Apron. I'm currently cooking braised nut lamb with Haagen-Dazs sauce. (laughs) I just just like that in podcast ads, and they... they, (laughs) Uh, there's like certain podcasts where they're like, they're so on top of the Blue Apron thing. They're like, yeah, you can't tell me to do a fucking or- original read every week. So they'll have like, they'll just do their regular Blue Apron read, and then they'll have like oh, and this then they'll edit dub in. where they because like, Blue the Apron says like, you need to tell us like, what are you eating this week or whatever. Yeah. It's a- <laughs> Just, my favorite is the nutmeg casserole with goose and flop. <laughs> I'd love it if it was a different person who was uh, saying that, too. It'd be great. You know, we should do an ad where you're the main voice and then we'll just dub in my voice every week for what the food is. Um, okay. You ready to finally get to this email I've been uh, talking about? Yes. One more thing about Apu. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> okay. Hi, Jessica and Dan. I'm here to reinforce your theory about your Target demo by being an Asian woman in her 30s. What? 
This email does not have any specific point other than a sign of support and to also work through a few issues I keep banging my head against, and maybe you could take them apart or give me some bandage. I'm an actor, lived in New York for seven years, but hit a visa wall, so I came back to Melbourne, Australia, to start over. I can now def- uh, definitively tell you that it's the same everywhere. Over the last year, past year, I've had a total of one audition that was not for a, an Asian-specific role. At that singular audition, which was for a Broad City-style web series, I walked into a room with one other darker-skinned girl and 28 white women. The call was for, quote, funny women. I once received uh, a form email from a prestigious TV show that may um, that may or may not have been the Nick <laughs> that read, you have, quote, you have previously expressed interest in portraying Asian prostitutes. <laughs> we are now casting the role of Asian prostitute <laughs> for like season movie two. Phone. Yeah. <laughs> If you're looking for an Asian prostitute at 7.15. Meaning that having gone through their previous batch of Asian prostitutes, they were finally (laughs) ready to see how my torso would look in their opium den sets. Um, These are... I'm going to skip to the next paragraph. These are just funny anecdotes I can easily shake off. But what remains is the fact that in every other aspect of my life, I never have to think about my cultural background. Only when I'm pursuing what I love am I forced to confront my Asian-ness. Even when I get the parts, I generally end up having to talk about being Chinese during table work. By insisting on hanging around the industry, by simply existing, I'm somehow an activist. I'm exhausted. Hmm. The very first audition I ever did was for a drama school. And during that audition, the teacher gave me the direction, I want you to stop being the lotus flower and show me the dragon lady. Nice. At the time, I was 19 and eager to please and just did the direction, not realizing that there would be shades of that story dogging my every step. I don't have a decent show reel because because most of the things I've done for screen don't involve a lot of dialogue, but do involve a lot of knives. I know a lot of that has to do with the fact that I could never get a decent agent in the States because I don't have a green card because I didn't have a green card. And so uh, my refuge was doing a lot of Shakespeare. The only surefire place a woman of color can have the kind of unadulterated fun other actors get from the rest of their career. The problem is also agents. I know for a fact that despite actually I want to pause on that last paragraph for a second, um, because that's the thing, too, is the kind of casual racism when someone is trying to be helpful is mm. very, very hard to figure out what how to respond to and process in the moment, especially when you're like 19. Right. And also when you're younger, you're so eager to want to just, you want to please people, you don't want to be confrontational, and you're trying to just be allowed to do this thing you want to do that you're willing to overlook so many things. And like, I, I know when I first started out, I didn't care about my Asianness at all. I know you'll find that very hard to believe. Uh, but when I first started out, I was like 22, 23, and like I didn't care. Like I, 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 I had this horrible attitude about things where I was like, you know what? I don't want people to think of me. I, I, so because I didn't want people to think of me only as an Asian writer and as a Chinese person, I, I thought like, oh, like the – I'll have made it if I get to write for white people, right, you know, right, right, and right. which is like a horrible way to think about And if about you're not things. bumming them out, yeah. That, like, yeah. Like if you can be the girl that's uh, Imogene Coca, you're, you're 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 hanging out, you're hanging out with the boys, and they're not yeah. they're not worried about you suing them. So you must have totally. done something right. Totally. And also, I didn't want to get pigeonholed. I didn't want to take jobs where they're like, oh, this is like a this is an Asian project. Like I was so anti like considering anything that was definitely for sure like an asian project i was like no like i'm legitimate if i work on a white project Mm. and that's how that's what i thought you know um and for that reason you didn't want to speak out about the stuff that you you know 
now have a podcast about. Totally. Because it would be yeah, yeah absolutely. You'd be like a, a smoke detector in, in in an apartment building that you didn't want to be the loud thing. And I totally, totally. And I, you know, I very much was like, I just want to be seen as a race neutral, like white adjacent writer, you know. And that that would mean that I that's the pinnacle of what you can be, and that's what I want to be. And it fucking sucks. It bums me out that I thought that way. Well, I, mm-hmm. I, it, I would counter with I don't think it's a bummer to think that way. I think the bummer is that society then doesn't meet you halfway. Sure. I think I think Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, thinking that uh, he could like just be one of five guys singing uh, Amazing Standards and touring the country, and uh, you know, like it 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 it, it was. An amazing thing for the forty percent of the way that was like him being willing to to tolerate certain shit and like you know think of himself as assimilating or whatever and and, and letting his talent rise to the top. The bummer is that when then the other side of the system doesn't doesn't then get tired of calling you Smokey and get, doesn't get because but the problem is every time Frank Sinatra does a joke about how black Sammy is. The, the the casino explodes and and it's like you could be you know Sinatra I saw a documentary about him and it, I mean there's a certainly a side of the story to be told if it's not the actual truth that he was incredibly passionate about desegregation and 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 very very like had a real axe to grind with actual racism but that's a different thing from saying like the systemic like the laziness of like of like well you got a black guy on stage with you so he's the black guy. So let's do the black jokes yeah. and let's never stop doing them. Let's never, ever, ever change that. So I think I, I'm imagining what you probably experienced because if I, I, I run a Chinese woman simulator in my head and I go, my <laughs> first choice would be for sure. I'd be like, guess what? I'm going to be the fucking uh, – you're not going to I you can look at me and notice that I'm uh, Chinese and that I'm a woman, but you're not – that's that's where that's going to end because I'm a comedy writer and comedy is about fucking skill sets and all this stuff. I, it makes perfect sense to me. Um, the 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 bummer is that guys like me who wave that flag when we're 25, like we don't realize that we're we're not creating an even playing field. You know, like we we're gonna we're gonna keep reminding you that you're Chinese and a woman, and you're gonna you're gonna therefore have a job that we don't have, mm-hmm. which is to Ignore a bunch of shit. I don't have that job. I get to live in my egalitarian society where anyone that notices race is hilarious and anytime you notice race, it's hilarious. Yeah. The, what crushes my heart about that first part of that um, young lady's email was that, that where she said, uh, I only have to think about my race while I'm doing the thing that I love. Mm-hmm. That's like really profoundly I know. It's heartbreaking. heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Like, yeah. Like in other words – if she stays at home and like curls up in a fetal position or like talks to her succulent plants or her dog or or her her life partner or watches TV or or just hangs out with her friends she 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 can live a normal happy life but 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 <laughs> the thing that she's most passionate about if she follows that bliss she's going to get callbacks for asian prostitutes and she two. and she always has to have that conversation with herself and it and it isn't quite as simple it, 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 as that and that is the bummer about it is that it's not simple because if it was simple it would be easy. That lotus turning to the dragon thing that, that where you you know I it brings to mind um, you know our uh, like Sam Christensen 
uh, this class that I took with Jeff, and Jeff was just on our podcast. We were singing Sam Christensen classes praises about, you know, and and it, this is probably a story from 20 years ago, but it's like, you know, there was a Latina actress in the in the class, and and she was getting on written on her cards anonymously from her classmates because the whole class is about like people telling you your essence and stuff, and um, you know, she kept getting spicy. And uh, uh, and and she's like, I'm not spicy. And 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 like the moral of the story as it's been told is that she was spicy because the way she would say spicy, she wasn't spicy, would be so spicy. And she was such a spicy Latina actress. And it was like, God damn, there's it's not as simple as as one barrel shooting racism and another barrel shooting free T-shirts and another barrel shooting good acting advice like uh, uh, somebody who really has your best best interests at heart they think that wants you to unlock your your rubik's cube can be saying some fucked up shit like uh you're a quiet chinese lady sure. so i want well, i want you to be like that one of those jade scorpion type chinese ladies and it's like well wait a minute you're just you're still seeing me as chinese sure exactly exactly like why why can't you just say the same thing to me that you say to the rest of your suit like because it because you, because that person is othering you. Right. You are different. You are, you are. Because vi- of what Dante said, if I, if mm-hmm. you go into an acting class and you're Asian, you've got you, your 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 white acting teacher, maybe your Asian acting teacher. I don't know. Is is uh, is 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 gonna do that thing that Dante talked about, which is like, oh well, certainly part of your presence is is this thing where you're yeah. where you either take a lot of pictures or do a lot of laundry but but you know and they, but they, <laughs> they but they could be liberal and they'd go like you you know it's like like they could tell you I want you to take the opposite of a lot of pictures and do no laundry <laughs> but but they'd still the starting from this point of departure like you're going to be the bad boy and they're like I see you as a Brandon Lee meets a thing and you could just be Asian and going like I actually kind of until I started taking these classes and came to LA I kind of saw myself as maybe like a, uh, or just uh, I just want to be an, I don't or know. I just want to be an actor. Like <laughs> I, I just want to like, be an actor and not have to like have you dissect my race for me. Yeah. And well, and the other thing is, I, I think that her experiences that she's telling us about really highlights another thing too, which is that because there are so many roles for white actors to audition for, they're constantly going on auditions. And the more you do something, the better you get at it. And so the more auditions you go on, the more like the better you get at auditioning, and then the more likely you are to get cast in something. But if the opportunity isn't there for you to even try auditioning, if like at once in a blue moon you get to audition to be an, a, a, pros- a nameless prostitute, um, which we now know we should say sex worker, but I'm just quoting the the the, ty- <laughs> the, the actual character's name, which is Asian prostitute. Um, if once in a blue moon you get to go in for Asian prostitute, you're it, you're at such a huge disadvantage from someone who gets to go in for like 50 different white roles, you know? Yeah, and you're not gonna say, or well, I don't know if you're gonna, not gonna say, but you're not in. You're, you're you have to sit there and wonder when the when the. Uh, Potentially shitty production, potentially criminal casting director, potentially horrible career choice uh, presents to you an opportunity to do the Asian prostitute in a way that like when they they say like, well, could you stick your uh, 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 head out more and could you wag your your finger and then could you take your unbutton your blouse or whatever? You're like, wait, am I going to be the person that gets fired from my first opportunity? Am I going to be an activist or am I going to be an actor? Because mm-hmm. actors take pride. The acting culture 
the entire thing is about like taking it on the chin and being a piece of clay for the for to, to be molded for the audience's inevitable um, uh, pleasure by people that you put above you and let be above you because your genius your autonomy is actually about your malleability and your willingness to do anything and it's fucked up that to 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 think about somebody not being white and uh, being in that job because yeah. you're like oh i'm i'm that classic archetype of the actor that's willing to do anything because i'm a fucking like oh, i'm all about the craft and then they're like okay dante you're puerto rican and and and, and like yeah I'll, well i'll do anything <laughs> I, I i'm not gonna but I, that's why i kind of i still want to have kumail in and talk about his experience because i remember from talking to him that like he he took a, a very specific path. It's not I, it's, there's no empirical right one or wrong one, but I know that Kumail took a really specific one where he decided like pretty early on he ain't he ain't dealing with it. He's not he's not he's, even if he got the slightest sketchy feeling. It was a, a, one way to put it would just be that he's kind of like just like he 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 ran a simulation in his head of like yeah no I'm entitled like I, I'm gonna mm-hmm. be great like I I don't have to I don't I, I don't have to like do shit that I don't feel 100 percent on if I go in for a McDonald's audition and they say you know could you could you talk like Apu I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say no thanks I, 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 I my my agent was supposed to tell you that I'm not I don't do accents or whatever your personal choices are and yeah and, don't take that job yeah and also I think it's worth noting that he oh, he shit. got to be a, a leading man because he wrote the material and executive produced it himself. Self, Which know? is either uplifting or yeah. it's it's for, both for it's for, both. for this young lady yeah. in Australia. It's just yeah. like oh thanks. So it's both because it's uplifting <laughs> in the sense like yeah he fucking did it he did it you know but it it sucks because it's like oh if you're just an actor like when you can't if you sit and wait for someone to to give you that chance it probably will never come because people aren't writing those roles for people of color. Yeah. However, mm-hmm. even though it's a bummer, we do know. If we look at all the equations on the board and go, well, white people aren't probably going to tend to, by default, go, hmm, I think I'll write a broad city type comedy where the protagonist is uh, nothing uh, in my head and and um, I'm going to be totally – like if, the, if we know the system hasn't been doing that great so far and we know that um, the system has to be kind of violently cajoled forward by – people who change the rules on their own um then that is like the kind of the only kind of advice you can give to actors is is like hey maybe you're not a writer but maybe you got to find one or figure out some way to uh prove not not do a one woman show called I'm an Asian woman hear me roar <laughs> that's not what she wants to do she wants to f- she doesn't want that's, that's not the do, doing a doing a one woman show that that is like here's who I fucking am yeah like 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 so does that mean you're not going to come to my one woman show called I'm an Asian woman I, hear me of roar. course I am I'm going to write it <laughs> oh I'd love that. Um, okay, I'm going to keep keep uh, reading her email. The problem is also agents. I know for a fact that despite being in constant dialogue with them about eventually moving away from the Asian-specific parts, they're still only putting me forward for those. Uh, the show I did in the beginning of the year was a part of the first ever Asian Topa Festival, a month-long event across a variety of artistic mediums involving international works as well as Asian-Australian collaborations on original pieces. It was a huge undertaking and also a huge success and will uh, happen again uh, biennially. 
Uh, During and after the festival, I was thriving off the buzz of the energy. Every artist and creator seemed to be asking the question, what's next? As someone who had just uh, who had just integrated herself into this new community, it felt like progress. Um, So that first part of her her sentence about um, just not being uh, moving away from just the Asian specific parts like. Like, that's really how I felt when I first started out, when I had these kind of, when I really bristled against uh, being pigeonholed as, like, an uh, an Asian writer. I remember even when I was applying for, so I got my start getting a, a, a writing fellowship, and it was a diversity fellowship, but, I mean, loosely defined, like, you can, you can make any argument, I mean, they they've... They've regularly given it to, like, straight, cisgendered white guys before. Like, you can kind of argue anything, really, um, as diverse. Um, so it wasn't hard, a hard and fast rule. But in it, I, I remember, like, at the time, there was something about, like, there was, like, a questionnaire I had to answer or something like that where it was kind of, like, uh, where it was kind of digging at, like, how my ethnicity informs, like, the piece I, I write, the pieces I write and things like that. And I remember just bristling and thinking, like, that's not just what I write. That's not all that I am. Like, I'm writing things that I think are funny and good stories. I'm not writing things just because they're Asian things, you know, or just because they're Chinese things. It doesn't have to... I remember just feeling so upset about it and thinking it doesn't always have to be, you know, about uh, being Chinese. Um, And, I mean, I think that is true in that, like, there are a lot of stories and projects I want to work on where it's not specifically about being Asian. And I think that what I didn't realize then was no matter what, no matter what, like anything I produce, my life experience as an Asian person will somehow inform it invisibly, you know, if not outwardly. And so uh, and but I but what I was really bristling against was just the idea that I had to be this performative Asian, you know, and really kind of make it into a banner and, and just right. constantly have to wave this like Asian flag. Because you figured that's something a hack would do. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding, right? Well, sort of. When in, you were at that stage. It, at that stage, yeah. Because, you, it, yes. because like I said earlier about Nazis, if you're proud of your mm-hmm. race, it, I, I'm like, like if, when I see a flyer for uh, uh, the the all Vietnamese improv troupe, like mm-hmm. I, I, well, I should say past tense. Like I would, I used to look at that and go, well, looks like in a world where it's hard to put a good improv troupe together, you're really, I mean, like, as if we're assuming that there's no such thing as a race of people who are better at improv than other people, like, why are you guaranteeing me a bad improv show by saying everyone has to be seven feet tall or redhead or have freckles or this? That's how I used to react to it. And, and, and because it was like, it was, I looked at it like Christian rock. Whereas, like, uh, you, you just hear a song about Christ, and it's like, number 20 on the Christian rock charts. You're listening to Hope, Hope Faith, uh, R- RPM, uh, uh, where all the re- we're going to rev up your soul with all the Christian hits from today. Um, here comes uh, Night Prayer with uh, a g- Get Behind Me, Devil. And, and it's like, it's just basically a generic heavy metal song, and you get, I just assume, you know, yeah, you know some power chords, but you, you're not quite at Oasis level, so you accepted Christ and. and <laughs> Thanks, and that—that's how I feel about. That's how I felt about like racial identity, mm-hmm. identity politics, especially in creative matters. Yeah. Now I don't feel that way because here's the thing: is and I think this is sort of your story that you're tracing, and it sounds like her story too, because she went to this festival mm-hmm. and like was because the the story starts in Act One with the really valid assumption that in a proper reasonable society in a truly egalitarian world uh, this shit shouldn't matter so if you worship a higher god like comedy craftsmanship talent the self 
uh, that shit should go to the sidelines. Uh, so you're Frodo in that world because you don't know the world don't work like that. And you cross a threshold into learning. There is no egalitarianism. Everybody's fucked up. The system is racist. The the, the most helpful acting guru is going to end up letting it slip that he just sees you as Asian when he even is trying to help you by saying, like, I want you to be less introverted. He's going to be like, you know, like that other kind of Chinese lady. And and, and then you're going to, you know, you meet with this goddess of like, oh, so in that world, if you step on that gas pedal and go, if I'm going to be identified as a race, no matter what I do then I guess I'll identify myself as a race and see what happens from there. And typically history seems to show in America that good things start to happen when that happens. The black is beautiful kind of like movement versus, you know, oh, I hope I hope white people don't get mad at me. I don't know. I'm like I'm way overstepping my bounds, but I'm just like speaking in <laughs> like emotional broad strokes here going like I think that history tends to show that – as much as we try to characterize it as like, oh, there's a slippery slope of this like separatist like mentalities and things and you're like racially proud. Like, why are you doing that? Shouldn't you be assimilating? Yeah, but more good than bad seems to come of it. Well, it, really what it is is that it's it doesn't help anyone if you're suppressing who you really are, you know, and if you're suppressing how you identify culturally. If your goal is perfect yeah. assimilation – uh, and you exist in a society whose goal isn't perfect assimilation, mm-hmm. you're just taking it up the butt, forgive the metaphor. That's a waste of your energy. If society isn't as eager for you to be just one of uh, uh, the human beings working on the TV show, if they're always going to see you as Asian and as a woman, um, and but you bother – on the other side of it, putting all this work into, well, but I'm not Asian and I'm not a woman. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, how are you supposed yeah. to? I mean, the trajectory, the ideal trajectory is I want to be respected just as a writer, period. And I don't want a qualified like, oh, she's a great female writer, implying that if I weren't female, there would be a different set of standards for me and I would rate lower, you yeah. know, or she's a great Asian writer. It's like, why do you have to qualify it? Whereas you wouldn't you just say Aaron Sorkin's a great writer. You don't say Aaron Sorkin's a, a great white male writer. You know, he's just a great writer. So first and foremost, I and, you know, I feel like most people want to be seen as just a good writer, period. But then once you are seen as a good writer, then you want to tell stories that you relate to as like that I relate to as a woman, as an Asian person. Like these are things that I want to write about, that I want to talk about. These are things that interest me because they mean something to me culturally. That doesn't mean every single thing I want to write has to do about being a woman or being, uh, or being Asian, but there's a part, but I don't want to suppress those things about myself. Well, you're, you're, so you're tracing a story of a a successful writer who's going now that I'm a successful writer and have access to these Mm -hmm. things. Now, who am I? Uh, which is one version of it. This, this person in Melbourne, um, I I feel like that story is, I, uh, I the 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 normal default society, the agent who has me as one of twenty clients, um, the uh, the shows that that are looking through headshots, um, I'm going to end up an Asian prostitute a lot. If I go to a festival called Asian, 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 exclamation point, um, it, I, I may have to overcome some like, uh, like, like, like issues that I used to think. I was like, well, wait, am I one of these people now that I'm just like, oh, I'm going to an Asian uh, 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 art festival? But it's like then some 
this, if that is what it takes to get cast as Medea, <laughs> um, then it, it's like it's like it, it's neither good nor bad, but it's like what what like like that works. Okay, well let me let me finish. This next paragraph might help uh, inform some some more stuff. Uh, And then when it comes to creating work, I feel obligated to explain why I'm Asian in them, as if the only story I had any right to tell is the Asian-Australian experience. I know it's ridiculous, but looking at other Asian playwrights, that's what 99.998% of their plays are about. Actually, most of it is about that very paradox. It must be different for TV because there's a room. But regardless, I'm in absolute... uh, Now she's talking about me. Uh... Well, she's saying that when I was live tweeting, uh, showing my family pickle work at my family reunion, she was right there with me. Um, I don't know what I want from you. I don't know what I want from you with this email. I guess I'm looking for reassurance that I won't have to think about this forever. I want to know if you call people out on every shitty thing or do you sometimes just think, fuck it, not today. Dude, every fucking day. Fucking not today. <laughs> Sorry for being ranty, but I found the podcast today, and it felt like a painstaking combing of thoughts. Hearing Dan struggle his way through his sentences feels exactly right for where we are in the literal, uh, liberal bubble right now. Your stammers and vocal creaks are in my mind, the literal cogs turning to shift the tide. <laughs> That's uh, the first time I've heard that put nicely. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, a lot of people really appreciate the the effort because it's real and it's genuine. Um, I was dating a well-meaning white boy who conceded to consider my feelings and not make certain jokes around me without understanding that those jokes should not be made at all. When I was 21, I dated a well-meaning white boy who, during an argument, shouted, apart from when you talk to your mother in Chinese, you're not even Asian at me. When I was 28, I dated a well-meaning white boy who was reluctant to introduce me to his friends because his ex-wife was Asian and he was Jewish. And even though he has had no other Asian romantic partners, he didn't want to be seen as that guy. I'd like to think that they're all going to be Dan's, uh, going to be Dan's, <laughs> listening and growing and helping others grow. Uh, well, that's nice. Best Alice. Uh, well, what most the most important thing is what she wants reassurance that uh, what that um, that that this isn't going to be her whole, you know, like I, I don't know. I mean, like how, how do we reassure her? Because because. The industry sucks. Yeah. I, 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 can't, I have to imagine Australia sucks worse, right? Less jobs, uh, less. Uh, <laughs> I don't, like, yeah, like, sure. I mean, if you, relatively speaking, you know, every industry is going to suck worse than Hollywood because Hollywood makes the majority of, you know, of uh, popular entertainment. I think that, I mean, I think that the sucky and uplifting thing is that, you know, <sighs> She's talking about it, and this is the experience, and that means that there is some there is some other way because, like, I don't know. I mean, I want to say something corny, like nobody asked Jordan Peele to write Get Out. I, I just, I like, like, it, it, and now it's the most mainstream thing you could ever have fucking done. Yeah, I, 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 but he I, had to work his way up to it, you know. And and yeah, but. And, but but somehow he wove the highway cones too. By the way, of like not you know he's like absolutely a nerd and but but was it's I I thinking about what to say to an Asian woman actor in Australia who's visa trapped and can't get auditions for anything other than the Asian prostitute role. Like my my heart really wants that person to have the reassurance that she's looking for i really want to feel it be concrete like like give her you know tell her 
something that like yeah. actually. Well, it's it, it's just a it's a bummer. It sucks. It's all the things that we talk about on this podcast, and um, I mean, I know I'm, I know I'm working towards changing that, and I think that whatever show you sell next, you'll bring a lot of these conversations. It'll be loaded with Asians. It'll be loaded with, why don't you write her a role on your new show? Uh. Um, But I, I think it's just, it's a huge ship that, uh, that turns very, very slowly. And there are a lot of people that are trying to help steer it in a different direction, but it's the progress is slow. The odds are stacked against us. Um, and it takes a lot of people doing a lot of work and overcoming a lot of odds. Um, but we're trying. Maybe at the bottom of all of, of, of what's vexing me right now is that it's like, well, we're writers and we talk about writing and all this stuff. And so that we, we always have that really safe default thing of like, well, maybe this will all inspire you to like sit down at a typewriter and pound out your little heart and it'll, you'll be the one that changes everything. Um, for yourself and maybe for the world, but actors are, you know, it's, it's not fair to just say to actors like, yeah, you gotta, you know, yeah, like, go on because, YouTube well, and make starts, your own thing. Yeah. Cause it starts with us. It starts with writers. Yeah. Like we have to provide the material and we have to, when we are running shows, we have to say to the casting director, this is how I want to cast this role. And we have to fight for it with the networks, too, when the networks uh, try to, like, push a, a a more name person, a more famous white person. You got to stick to your guns. I mean, pick your battles, obviously, but you got to stick to your guns and say, like, no, I don't want this entire cast except for one person who's, like, a, a hilarious black best friend to be white, you know? And you usually have to say it about 70 times. And then, yeah, I mean, the the agent level thing is... That's the biggest deal of all. I say if you're an actor and you're an Asian woman, I, I'm i going to just indulge my cynicism for a second so that nobody thinks I'm being Pollyanna and say if I'm a white male agent and one of my clients is an Asian woman, like – I like I yeah I'm I'm expecting the worst for that person like 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 I, I'm I'm like material wise like I'm saying like I'm like unless you are unless you had a lunch with this agent where he was like look I want to just actually talk about something uncomfortable I know you're an Asian woman actor and <laughs> I'm a white guy in a blazer but the truth is you're incredibly talented and you have this like. Uh, uh, energy about you that has nothing to do with the categories that you fit into so please sign with me because I really like I'm going to put you forward for everything and have this conversation with every casting director unless you've had that like I, I, I'm assuming by default that 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 actors are livestock and agents are little cattle ranchers and the the, the lower agents on the totem pole are like trying to work their way up to be big ranchers and maybe one day own a whole factory farm and possibly not be an agent that uh, because wouldn't that be the best reward of all and 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 that they're not inclined they're not they're not incentivized to do the things that you hear about like when you read Quentin Tarantino's biography and it's like a lot of famous people's biographies have these chapters where they meet this threshold guardian who turns out to be their their a lifesaver, this agent or manager who's like, look, 
people don't take you seriously because you work in a video store and all of your scripts are incredibly derivative of Peck and Pop. But I see that you are a genius and I want to get you a movie made and blah, blah, blah. Like there is this person that descends from above and changes this person's life. And for an actor, it's probably all the more important because if you're not a just a even if you are a handsome white dude like that's probably all the the same thing because it's like right you're not in charge of the the material being being created so you're at the mercy of people who are uh, uh, producing the material that you're going to star in and if nobody's writing roles for you except for asian prostitute then you're you know like what are you gonna do then the, the thing back one step from that is an agent who is gonna who's going to have their moment at your funeral or in your biopic or your biography or their memoirs where they describe several chapters in a row of how they did nothing but eat shit and get punished and threatened to be kicked out of the industry because they kept putting this Asian woman forward for all these roles that were written for black men and white women and, um, and 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 kept saying no i'm telling you connie is amazing um like assuming you're not finding that person and didn't they they didn't just fall in your lap then then the thing back from that is now we're in the realm of how do you hack the system how do you change the way things work from where you are and it's not fair to ask you as a writer to write i'm sorry it's not fair to ask you as an actor to write or direct or But it might be slightly less than totally unfair to say maybe you have to play the role of producer in that you have to find people and you have to say to them, look, I'm willing to do anything, uh, but... Uh, like I want to create my own opportunities. So you're, you're like actually using your empathy to now hunt for writers and directors who are also for whatever their reasons are. Yeah. Um, Or, but even for the purposes of this email, maybe we can just say like, we hear you. We, we think that sucks and we empathize with you. And we both take away from this email that at least we know that there are two writers here who are trying to do better and trying to do right by uh, non-white actors. Hmm. <laughs> Dan, <laughs> just going to look at your arm and pretend you don't hear me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't want to end the podcast with a promise that I'm going to make anything better. Oh, man. Well, I'm not. I don't. That, that's the thing. Like, I, I, because I, what I, I, I'm. Yeah, you're right about that. I do want to. I do want to help. But like, all I'm saying is, after having heard that, uh, that heartbreaking and wonderful email, I, th- I think that uh, I would like to assume that you would go away with it, uh, with it in the back of your mind, so that when you work on your next project, you might briefly think about it. Oh, I see. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yes, that's that's by default. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, also, I think you think that know, Asian I, people shouldn't be on TV. <laughs> no, I want I want her tomorrow to be better than today. I don't want I don't want the reason she feels better because she wrote to Jerry Springer and he promised that you know his in his final thoughts that he'd I I, I she's she's trapped in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I want I want I want to give her give her an emotional tool to like. Uh, you know, change the change the change the landscape. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't like placation. That's your jam. You're from communist China. <laughs> oh boy. Um, well, thanks for writing in, Alice. 
Thank you, Alice. Sorry, sorry, your Wonderland turned out to be a dystopic waste. Oh boy, we we are fast hurtling towards the end of this episode. Um, okay, final thing. Um, uh, we only have time for the first half of this email. Um, hey, Jessica. First off, I love the podcast. I'm a fan of the frank discussions you have on the show. Here's an email in two parts. A fun thing. We're only going to cover the fun thing right now because that's all we have time for. When Dan tried to pronounce Yusan's uh, uh, name, I laughed my arse off and wondered what it must be like to Chinese ears to hear something mispronounced so heavily. Then I heard you reporting how Americans say Oban, Jizo. Could you uh, maybe you could indulge me by trying the following Scots phrases? All right. Do you should we both do them or do you want to do one and I'll do one and go back and forth? Okay. Yeah, these are Scottish <laughs> Scottish phrases. Yeah. That are written in English. <laughs> or okay. You want to try the first one? I definitely don't want to try the first one. How you're wished. <laughs> that means be quiet. Um Adene Ken Pal. That means I don't know. You're out your face. That was very good. I yeah. mean, that sounded great to my American ears. Yeah, I don't know. And that means you're very drunk. Well, we're out our face. <laughs> That's a very true. I can't believe you and he thought that that would be fun. <laughs> Maybe he liked it. <laughs> well, I hope I he hope did. so. Um, and that was from Gary. Um, all right. We're, we're out our faces. Time to go home. Time to go home. To our Jewish girlfriends and our forensic files and our Minecraft and our dreams of never having to work again. Okay. Goodbye. Bye, race fans. It's a good show. <laughs> <laughs>